What is up, Royal Army? My name is Roy Yamada, and I will be your host. Welcome to Royal Health Radio. Today, we have a very special guest. We'll be talking to Sarah Rose, who is the founder of The Genius Body and the host of the Mind Body Academy podcast. Sarah was able to turn her life around and overcome a lot of health challenges, and she was aware that her challenges weren't unique to her. So she's dedicated herself to now helping reverse the physical and mental health crisis that affects so many people today. We'll be talking about things like stress, mindfulness. We'll be also covering how to deal with emotional eating. And we'll be also talking about how our mindset can affect us physically. And without further ado, let's just jump into the conversation with my friend, Sarah Rose. Hey, Sarah, what's up? Thank you for being here today. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah, of course. So before we kind of dive into the content today, let's just talk about a little bit about your backstory, um, what what you have been through and what kind of got you to where you're at currently. Sure. So I'm the host of the Mind Body Academy podcast, and I also have a health coaching business through which I help people lose the mental weight that's holding them back from enjoying better health. And this is so key, right? Because when we enjoy better health, we're able to enjoy so much more out of life. But what really is getting between us and being able to do that, right? And the key piece of this is really focusing on the mind because who cares if you end up in a slimmer body if you still have the same experience of your life? And so, so often when people first come to me and they share with me that they're struggling with their weight or an aspect of their health, when we dig in, what we get at is that for most people, what we're really struggling with is the sense of being overworked, overstressed, and overtired. And the byproduct of that is showing up as a health struggle or a struggle with a person's weight. So that's really the nature of the work that I do with my clients. And then what kind of led up to this point? I guess my jump off point for getting into this work was early childhood. I think like most people, when you have an interest in your health, it's because you have had experiences in your life that have highlighted just how important it is to experience good health in order to experience the quality of your life. And growing up, I had a bit of a genetic baggage and also just a lot of life stressors that happen during that developmental phase of my life that had a huge impact on me. And then as a byproduct of that showed up as these health crashes getting sick very often and struggling with my weight, but really as a function of struggling at the base with my mental health and chronic depression from really uh, even early before my teens. And so that gave me a sense of how important it is in order to stabilize into an experience of our lives and, and having a place here on earth how important it is to really be in our bodies. And that that realization came further down the line of having a health crash that landed me in the hospital. And it was kind of the first time that I had asked myself what I needed to heal. And I never really thought of my body as the solution, but it was the first time on a very visceral level that there was this need to get into movement. And it wasn't about for the first time in a long time losing weight or anything like that. It was it was kind of an intuitive knowing that emotions contain an element of motion. It has to move through us. And it sounds kind of funny to think of feeling our feelings as a skill, but it really is. And so before even introducing myself to the work of what that actually then translated out into, there was a sense of where to begin with all of that work. And that was just getting the ball rolling by by starting to move. Yeah. So um, I know you kind of mentioned uh, the health struggles that you had um, just so 
people can kind of uh, get some value out of that, if you don't mind sharing, what kind of health problems are you having? Yeah, so just really recurringly getting sick and then struggling with disordered eating. And I think the core piece of what I was struggling with was anxiety and depression recurringly from a very young age, from having been through things like my father having a stroke and then becoming severely handicapped and sort of this role reversal from an early age of needing to to step into a very adult role without having gone through the emotional maturation. And so the way that I learned to cope with my emotional life was was through food because at many stages in my life, it felt like nothing felt as good as food tasted. And that kind of became this problematic relationship to food where it was this this reliance on things external to me in order to feel good. And we notice yeah. how we all do this, right? The sense of, oh, if I just achieve a different body, if I just you know, earn more money, then I can be happy. And it was this I'll be happy when syndrome that set in for me. So with that being said, I, I know you kind of mentioned that y- you've been through it. What were the first steps for you to kind of get the ball rolling and for you to actually heal from all of these issues that you were experiencing? The first step was trusting myself to have the answer to that question. There isn't one prescriptive place from which to start. And I think where so many of us get ourselves into trouble is like we're looking for the way to do it or the right way, or we're looking for the steps on where to begin. And we are looking for it somewhere out there instead of checking in with ourselves, like, hang on a second, what is it that I'm needing? And that answer might be very different for different people. And for me, it was really a question of stepping back into my body. And it was this intuitive knowing that when we are able to to step into our bodies and train our, our physical fitness, how that actually gets communicated up into the mind. We tend to think of the mind and the body as separate, but really they're one integrated system. And so in an intuitive way, I gravitated towards marathon running. And what that helped me build in as a mental skill was emotional endurance. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you kind of talked about this whole mental part of things, right? But you also tied in the kind of physical, Um, you know, how does our mental health kind of play into uh, having better physical health? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's something that's so often overlooked, right? When we're pursuing better physical health, whether that's a better physical appearance or in the context of this global pandemic, right? We're witnessing that how the first thing to go out the window in the name of better physical health tends to be our mental health. But the reason that we want better physical health typically is so that we can be more mentally well. And yet so many of us are trying to suffer our way to enjoying our lives more. And this is totally backwards. Really being worried and preoccupied about our physical health can end up being really bad for our mental health. And yet it's the brain that decides what you're going to do with your body, with your time, with your life. That's why getting our mental health in check becomes so, so, so important because as a result of that, it creates what I call emotional obesity of just this continuous stuffing down of our emotions. It's kind of funny to think that, right? But, oh, I'm having feelings like as if that means something's gone wrong, that in some way you're abnormal. But this is the tendency that we have is to equate feeling bad with I am bad in some way or something is bad and then scanning for evidence of that. 
So it's it kind of sounds like um uh, it kind of ties in with like people putting morality to food, um, which I know is kind of a, a big issue, um, and a lot of people could be struggling with this. How do you feel that the best approach to dealing with that would be? I think expanding the conversation like this around food becomes so important because we tend to think of food only in terms of whether it will allow us to gain or lose weight or just as this thing that kind of passes through us. So as if we can just burn it off, but food that goes through us really has an effect on us. It's the building blocks of all of the functions of your body. It's the building blocks of your life, really, because where do you experience your life? You experience it right here in your body. And yet we experience our lives from the inside out with our eyes looking through us and looking all around. But food is not just what we put onto our plates and recognizing that what we put onto our plates is kind of this farm messy, right? Using food to create a fuller experience of health and expanding that way. Because again, right, if you're just thinking in terms of weight loss, very often what gets sacrificed is your health in the process, whether that's mentally and or physically. And so that in and of itself kind of creates this interest where we can start to fall away from the from the morality. But what does go onto our plates are also all of our beliefs. Tell me what you eat and I can tell a lot about who you are and what you believe and all of that. So thinking of food also in terms of the thoughts that we put into our head, because we spend so much time thinking about you know the calories, the numbers on the scale and things like that, macros. But how often do we think about the thoughts that we think? It's not an exercise or a reflex that most of us have to even conceive of our thoughts as choosable. But where we do have an internal locus of control is over the way that we think, the way that we feel, the actions we take, and the results that we're able to create. What gets overlooked is the choice that we have over the way that we think and feel. And so for so many of us, we try to control things that are beyond our control, our circumstances, right? And then also allocating a lot of energy into just trying to take new actions without having managed our minds or managed our emotional life. And then we're wondering why it's so hard to act on what we know. It's because we don't act based on what we know. We act based on the baseline of stress in our nervous systems. And so emotional health is how we bridge that gap between what we know and what we do. Yeah. I I feel like that's such a a big issue nowadays. And this whole, there's a whole bunch of factors that kind of play into this, right? There's the whole like hustle culture and go, 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 go. You have to be productive 24 seven. And also everything that you see on social media, right? There's a lot of comparison and a lot of um, just, just misinformation out there. So it can get very stressful and we don't have too much time to, um, Think about our inputs, right? As you said, like have some time to kind of think about things and and really discover why we have some of the habits we have or, you know, do some of the things that we do. Um, But with that being said, I know that stress, right, is such a big topic and you hear it a lot nowadays. Everyone um, is kind of the opposite side of the hustle thing, right? You have one side is hustle, 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 hustle. And then on the other side, you have the more health focused people and saying, you know, take take a breather, relax, meditate, um, do some breath work. H- how can someone tell if stress is kind of manifesting itself in the physical world? Yeah. 
anytime stress becomes chronic, it becomes a problem. Most of us kind of think of stress as just a fact of our lives and of of being busy, right? But even being busy, we don't tend to think of that as a thought, but it's a way it's a way of perceiving our lives. And it can become this whole way of life where it's it's just in response to everything I'm too busy. I don't have time. And it 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 becomes this way of engaging with life that tends to lead to it becoming very rushed and speeded up. And in response to the overwhelm, just recognizing the reflex so many of us have to try and like do our way out of the way that we feel to like achieve more, except what it ends up creating is hitching our sense of worth, our sense of accomplishment to doing, and then leading to this whole way of life of needing to do in order to be, right? So at a basic level, what is stress? Like it's first and foremost an emotion. And it's a natural reflex of the body. It's a survival mechanism. And so it's normal to get stressed, but staying stressed is a whole other issue. It's it's just that so many of us haven't learned how to process stress. And so when we look out into the wild, right, how animals, when they're being attacked or chased by a predator, there's a stress response, they flee, and then all of a sudden there's a calming down. But so many of us are living our lives without any moments of calming down, just constantly being on. So it can show up as a kind of like anxiety, but on the flip side too, as more depressed states because there's a constant pushing down. So it can lead to kind of throwing ourselves on our backs like turtles and flailing about and and recoiling within ourselves too. So a lot of procrastination and avoidance. So just noticing how stress then shows up and interferes with the way that we're engaging with our lives. Because at a basic level, stress is this kind of unsatisfactoriness. It gives us this sense that something is missing and that something is not quite right in this moment. It's, It's our habit to want life to be different because most moments feel uneasy to us. And rather than cultivating presence, rather than improving the quality of this moment, we're waiting for the next moment to feel different. As if the quality of the experience is something that happens to us and not something we're in charge of creating. So of course, all of this creates this undercurrent of restlessness and a real reactivity to our lives. It's like constantly putting out fires instead of feeling in charge of creating our well-being. Mm, that's so awesome. So if someone was here today and they said, Sarah, you know, I, I'm so stressed. I, I just can't get this feeling out of me. What are some steps that they can actually take to help with that or, or kind of calm that down? Yeah. You know, just like we sometimes forget to tell people we love them. It sounds so basic, but one of the key things is that we tend to forget to breathe when we're stressed. And because the mind and the body are one integrated system, just kind of creating some calming down within the body helps get that communicated back up to the mind where it's translated into more mental clarity. Because what happens when we get stressed and we stay stressed is that actually there's less blood flow to the prefrontal cortex, which is where the decision centers of our brain are more of our executive functions. And instead, we then end up kind of spending more of our time when we're chronically stressed is in the more survival-based primitive brain where we make decisions more emotionally and justify them after the fact. So sometimes we don't even notice ourselves doing this. Again, it's it's like it's just assuming that the way we're living our lives, that is just busy feels like a fact, tired feels like a fact. Um, And we're not 
questioning the role that our mental inputs are playing in the experience of that. So that would be the first thing is is really creating some relaxation and it's counterintuitive. But the way that I like to get people to think about this, it's like we're running these obstacle courses throughout the day. There's things to overcome, there's things to accomplish, there's things to move through. And it's like we're running that obstacle course with like a ball and chain. And that ball and chain is the different heavy emotions that we aren't processing. And at any moment in time, you can take the time to to pause and to unhook from that. And it seems like it takes time. It seems like ways there's too many other things to overcome, right? If you're focused on what's ahead of you, except it's the unhooking from the emotion that allows you to get more done with less effort. So some of the strategies around unhooking from the emotions I mean, that's a huge piece of a regular practice that I expose my clients to because really there's nothing more damaging to our mental and emotional health than to be told or to tell ourselves that we shouldn't be feeling what we're feeling. And yet that really is kind of the narrative within our culture as if feelings are in some way bad or weak, except it's the opposite. It's resisting our feelings that create so much um, like physical breakdowns, but also mental as well, because Feelings are the whole reason why we do or don't do what we have going on in our lives. That's the the motor of the action that we take. And when we're not tending to that, it actually creates less emotional agility, less emotional flexibility, less emotional strength, and less emotional resilience to be able to deal with the demands of our lives. So part of that is even being able to recognize and develop a vocabulary around our emotions, to be able to name what we're feeling and to bring it back down to the level of a feeling rather than an identity. And what I mean by this is so often when we feel an emotion like depression or stress or whatever it is, like I am stressed, I am depressed, I am, you know, whatever it is, it becomes this sense of self. And again, the sense of like, there's something wrong with me and and looking for tons of evidence of what's going wrong. But when you bring it back down to the level of a feeling and notice how you experience the emotion in your body, what happens by spinning the attention inward and asking yourself, what's it like for me in my body when I'm feeling this, it starts to create the attunement that it's not what's happening out there that's creating that. It's the way that you are thinking that's creating this physical experience in your body. It helps to neutralize the circumstances of what you have going on to start to create a space uh, between what's going on out there and how you want to show up in the midst of all of it. And so just checking in and practicing the skill of allowing the emotion without reacting to it, because we have four options essentially when we're feeling an emotion. We can be reacting to it, we can be avoiding it, we can be resisting it. But the fourth skill, and it really is a skill and something to practice, is allowing the emotion. I don't mean necessarily agreeing or enjoying the emotion, but just naming that that's what's alive for you and letting that be okay is really the first step. Can I be with this for just right now? And noticing the reflex of the mind there. The goal isn't to get to a yes right away, but simply to notice if the mind is resisting and then bringing the attention back into the body. And when I want to say yes, but I'm not quite a yes, or when I'm saying no to this, or like, when is this going to be over? What happens in my body? Because it's the constantly trying to get away from that 
unintentionally tends to generate more of the actions that confirm the way that you're thinking. So when you're telling yourself, I'm so busy, and then you're overwhelmed, and it's leading you to constantly adding to-dos to your to-do list, well, guess what that's going to create as a result? Always going to have more to do. And so that's through yourself, right? Through the way that you're thinking, it leads you to act in a way that confirms what you're believing. Except most of us just don't have the awareness to see this. So that's the power of turning towards the emotions and unhooking and just letting it be an experience from within the body before redeciding how we engage with our lives. Yeah, we don't actually really think about that, right? It's, it's like this vicious cycle. <laughs> it's like that never ending hamster wheel. But how, how would this be done? Like, w- would I be kind of taking small little pauses throughout the day to kind of check in with myself? Um, or, or do you recommend maybe setting aside maybe 10, 15 minutes? So what, what's the best approach for this? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think when we start talking about emotions, people picture like long meditation sessions and like sitting on a couch and it being another to do like this is going to take a whole chunk of time. But that's really why I pointed to the first thing being taking a breath. Because sometimes that is enough. The breath really holds the space between the inhale and the exhale of of some choice. And sometimes what's needed is is several breaths before we're able to kind of land, but it can happen really quickly. The more that this practice of allowing the emotion is practiced, the more it becomes a skill and then something that translates out pretty quickly even in the moment. Do you feel like dealing with your emotions um, is the first step for someone that wants to lose weight? I would say so. So often, right, we're like, I just need to exercise more. I need to eat this way. I need to do keto because this person is. But again, it's the sense of like looking for a sense of authority outside of oneself. But it's it's turning towards your emotions, positive and negative, and recognizing too that the negative emotions, when you don't feel so negative about them, it's the unlayering of that reflex to try and get rid of them, that they can be a huge source of wisdom because what are you needing? How do you want to support yourself in what you're experiencing? What might be asking for acceptance in order for you to start taking action? The task that impedes your task is your task. And the reason why you're not getting yourself into action, why you're not taking care of yourself is typically because of the way you're thinking. And I know it was that way for me for a long time. I thought of my body as the problem. And guess what I did? I treated it like the problem. I distrusted it. I punished it. I disconnected from it. I didn't consider that my body could be the solution. It wasn't until I shifted my perspective over that, that I started to really take care of it. And it's from the space of taking care of myself that I I wanted better for myself. That created relief from trying to be less like myself. And I think that's the trap that so many of us get ourselves into is like in some way, it's like that stress of in some way I'm I'm unacceptable. In some way, something is not right here and I need to get away from it. When you make yourself safe where you are and allow yourself to be where you are, that is the space from which we can create a transformation. And it's the awareness over the emotions that is itself the beginning of the transformation. When someone's trying to lose weight, right? And they stumble upon some very hard thoughts and maybe you know, they have some past trauma. What do you think would be the best approach to kind of deal with these big kind of traumatic events? Do you have any advice for that? Definitely to to seek accompaniment. I think that's the culture that we're kind of couched in right now is like the self-made man or woman and trying to figure everything out on your own. And there's something wrong with you if you don't know how. But a lot of the time with all of that, where there's 
a sense of regaining some power is to touch into the place where it becomes a human struggle and not just a you struggle. And people can find the most support is in relationship to others without even necessarily the other person saying anything, but just to have that non-judgmental space in which it can be held is the beginning of a shift because sometimes just getting it out of your head where it feels so real and so defining, it's like it's so confined within there. But when you can speak it, then you can get to work over it. Because the power is, again, it's it, there's there's our, our circumstances and then there's our thoughts about our circumstances. Most of us confuse the two, right? So if I tell you I've had a good day, that just seems like a fact. But that's actually the way that I'm thinking about the day. Good day isn't made by the day. It's made by the way that you think about it. And the same thing is true of a good life. And we can take the two sets of same circumstances and t- tell two different stories, right? Of my amazing life or my really challenging hard life. and. Most of us just experience the way our past and the things that we lived through one really confining lens. But when we just speak it, it begins to create some space around it. And having someone who knows how to hold space for that and and silence and deep listening, that's huge. With all that being said, uh, I have some people and I know uh, a lot of people struggle with this too, this whole idea of saying, you know, I wish... I just wanted it more. Say they wanted to uh, lose weight. That 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 was their goal. They just say, "Ah, oh, I, I wish I wanted it more." You know, like what? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, a lot of the time we tend to think of it as an an issue of lack of desire, um, but quite often. What gets missed in the conversation around weight loss is where there's an over desire for food that is created from first and foremost, the physical addiction to certain kinds of foods, right? So anything concentrated down, typically the white stuff, so sugar, flour, dairy, um, and then foods that are processed and a lot of the time manufactured. And and sometimes people don't know this, but by food scientists who are, you know, testing these foods out to see how they light up the addiction centers in the brain so that they're designed to be overconsumed. And then so many people then think it's an issue of a lack of willpower, self-control, and all of these things. But really, there's quite often this biochemical hijacking of our nervous system, of our taste buds, of our cells, of our body, really, that's creating these urges to eat beyond what the body needs for fuel. So that's one thing to recognize. And then there's the, the addiction level in terms of Um, how we become addicted to food to cope with our busy, overworked, overstressed lives. And that becomes the way that we know how to manage our emotions. Instead of feeling our feelings, so many of us end up eating them. So that's an important thing to recognize within all of that. When we're talking about all of this, you you talk about, you know, kind of these chemical hijackings of our brain, right? And obviously, you hear a lot of intuitive eating and uh, a natural approach to things. Do you feel like there ever is a point where you can intuitively eat, but not get enough food in? Um, Because I know like, you're supposed to eat till, you know, satiety and fullness. But what if, you know, you just aren't eating enough Uh, nutrients or getting enough nutrients through your diet that way? Awesome question, right? Because we hear so much about intuitive eating. And I think there's a little nuance to bring into the conversation around that because essentially when it comes to our weight, 
Um, there are many hormones involved. And for most people, for, for a lot of people out there, most of us are not metabolically healthy. And a lot of people out there have what's what's called insulin resistance, also, which is the fat storage hormone, which is the main hormone responsible for weight regulation. And then we're also seeing things like leptin resistance, which is the hormone that leaps in to tell you when you've had enough to eat. So how do you know when to stop eating when those hormones are out of whack? A big aspect of the way that I approach it with my clients is really recalibrating those hormones in symbiosis with these practice of starting to listen to the body and to practice allowing urges the same way we allow emotions because those urges, desires, and emotions kind of exist on this bell curve. Most of us have had the experience of like really being in the mood to, to eat something, drink something, whatever it is, and then being like in a meeting and then you walk out of the meeting and you totally forget that you had been craving that. And that's because there's a rising like a wave and it kind of crests and it, and it dissipates when you give it time. And so that's really the practice around that. I think that it, it kind of ties in nicely, right? With the whole um, taking a breath thing and kind of, giving some space to yourself, um, especially when you do have those kind of urges, right? Do you feel like a lot of people struggle with maybe snacking or, or like mindlessly eating because of internal battles that they're kind of having? Or, or what do you think about that? Definitely. I see that. I talk about four kinds of eating. So there is fuel eating, which is really starting to pay attention to what our body needs in order to function optimally. That's where it's fun to start expanding the conversation as like, what, what is food and what you can start to put onto your plate you know, if you have a certain health condition or you want more energy, like what are the foods that have these kinds of effects becomes really fun to play around with that. Um, then there's obviously there are foods today that are manufactured for, for pleasure. And, and I think it's important to talk about eating healthier in a way that's also expands the love of food. And it's so important for making healthy food more interesting, those fuel foods, but also allowing for some, some space around foods that are purely for the joy. It's food without the guilt and the shame and the regret and all of that. And a big piece of how I teach people to incorporate this is really thinking of food as planned or not planned. And so that can be a huge piece of it. It's like fully giving yourself permission to start not having to be afraid of food and what fruit, food's going to do because food's not the thing that's making you feel bad. It's how you're thinking about yourself after how you're thinking about what you did that's creating that. So those are the the two means of like conscious eating, but the more unconscious eating I call storm eating, which is what we do when you know we're super stressed out or we've had like a hectic day and it's just kind of like nomming on the go. And then there's fog eating, which is this kind of mindless eating that's like, you know, you're working on a work project and you just have your hand in the cereal box and you keep going and you're maybe cooking a meal and you're tasting everything. Whatever it is that you're not consciously checking in with these three words, which are, am I hungry? It sounds so simple, but simply getting in the habit of checking in before we put food into our mouths and asking ourselves, like, am I hungry? Taking that breath to do the eating from within our bodies instead of from inside our minds where we're trying to digest the fullness of what we have on our proverbial plates, right? Doing that kind of inventory can be really, really a stabilizing practice. So one part that you kind of mentioned too, and uh, it's easier to say than it is to actually do. 
but it's dealing with this guilt of food. And I know it's not as easy. We tell people, right? It's just like, don't feel bad about eating it. But what are some practical things to actually do to build that skill? Because it is a skill, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the misconceptions that has to be undone in order to kind of undo some of that, the guilting and all of this, is that weight loss has to be hard to be effective. And this is huge because so many people are making it harder that than it has to be as a response to this. And so I love with my clients kind of looking at what's going to be the minimum effective dose. And the only way for you to learn what that is, is to not start by trying to do the most. And so what I've applied to my coaching practice with my clients is the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule, where I've kind of filtered through and really nailed down like the 20% of things that are going to be responsible for 80% of the results. Because what happens for so many people is they try to change everything all at once and perfectly, and they want to get it 100% right 100% of the time straight out the gate. And that gets in the way of starting and keeping going. Because the moment there's a mess up or a slip up, it creates this need to start over instead of evaluate and keep going. And so by focusing on fewer things and gradually ramping them up, it is so much easier than most people expect. And that kind of blows their mind because it creates some momentum too of saying, hey, I didn't even realize that this thing that I'm minimizing that may seem so simple, like drinking water, how hugely responsible that is for creating better physical health and weight loss, better sleep. It's like these things that are so easy to overlook, but actually are the things responsible for the the biggest impact. And before we get more complicated with things like macros or anything like that, if you aren't doing the core basics that are responsible for about 80% of your results, you're missing so much and you're overcomplicating it because you're trying to change the 100%, including taking the 80% of actions that only produce about 20% of your results, the kind of tweaking from the start. Okay, so let me just summarize that so um, everyone kind of gets it. So it's really about starting small and really just focusing on the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Was that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So don't start with the keto or don't start by tracking your macros, right? You can if you want to, right? There's no right or wrong way. There's only what's going to work for you. But if you're finding you're not being able to follow through on it, what that suggests for me is that what's being missed is that it could be easier than you're currently making it. And how might you make it easier for yourself? So often when we think it's hard, it's also because we just aren't asking ourselves how we can make it easier. And again, there's that tendency to try and change miserably in order to have more fun in our lives. And if we just ask ourselves, okay, how can I make this something I want to do and not create it as like a choice against yourself, like something you have to do and and like this miserable pressured thing compelling ourselves instead of convincing ourselves to do things. Yeah, I think that a lot of people do have that thought in their mind, right? Like when they think about weight loss, they think, oh, bland diet, I I can't eat pizza or ice cream. Um, I need to kill myself in the gym for one hour. I need to jump on the treadmill, you know, so it's kind of this big uh, epidemic. But I, I mean, I absolutely love this whole approach to connecting with the mind to kind of have a physical manifestation uh, in your life. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the episode today, Sarah. I, I really appreciate it. I know that everyone got a lot of value from you. But but with that being said, where can people connect with you? Yeah, so over on my podcast, I 
host the Mind Body Academy podcast, and that's available on all, all podcasting platforms. And then if you're interested and you know you have questions or you just want to connect, I'm a human <laughs> and I would love to hear where you're at. And you can connect with me over at thegeniusbody.com. Yeah, if you guys need to just um, sit down and relax, you need to go check out her podcast. She has this tone that just relaxes you, puts you in a kind of relaxed mood. But <laughs> again, um, thank you again, Sarah, for awesome. jumping on today uh, and I will talk to you later. All right, that does it for today's episode. I will leave everything linked down in the show notes. If you guys enjoyed this show, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and also sharing it with a friend. It really helps me get this message out there to those that need it. And other than that, I will see you guys in the next episode.